crime lovers are always looking for new and engaging content. The Already Gone podcast covers stories from Michigan and the Great Lakes region. Cases you haven't heard before, like the Mayo Hunters or the murder of 16-year-old Justin Mello, plus better-known cases like the death of Jane Bashara and Illinois' own Lori Dan. Already Gone started in 2016, so there is a big back catalog for you to enjoy. Find Already Gone on Apple Podcasts, Good Pods, or your favorite podcatcher. Hello, welcome to the Four Press Podcast, presented by GolfWeek.com. I'm your host, David Dusek, and joining me this week is Golf Week producer and reporter Julia Kate Culpepper. In the podcast you're about to hear, Julia Kate and I talk at length about the role of social media in sport and in golf, and how it's affecting not only how we get news and information, but also how athletes interact with fans, and how leagues try and get their message across to viewers and people who love their games. The conversation's a little bit different than most of the Four Press podcasts we've done in the past, but I know you're going to want to listen. Get stronger, hit longer, and end pain with Golf Forever. Created by Justin Leonard and co-author of the Younger Next Year Backbook, Dr. Jeremy James, Golf Forever is the take-anywhere online golf fitness program that helps you build a body prime for golf. It's simple, safe, and it works. At home, in the gym, on the golf course, Golf Forever's easy-to-follow exercises, warm-up routines, and course management videos will help you play your best pain-free. Sign up today at GolfForever.com and use promo code GOLFWEEK for a free 14-day trial. So all the appropriate buttons are pressed, and right now I've got Julie Kate Culpepper coming on to the 4Press podcast for the very first time. Julie Kate, welcome. How's it going? Hello. Thanks for having me. It's good to have you here. So uh, we're not too far away from when people are still supposed to be having their New Year's resolutions, at least fulfilling their New Year's resolutions. Do you make any New Year's resolutions this year? Uh, That is the question this time of year. Um, I do not have one. I heard someone say their resolution is just to be a better, just to be better. And I think Mm -hmm. that's a really good one because it's not putting too much pressure on yourself to, you know, work out for 30 minutes every day or close all your Apple watch rings or stop swearing or stop drinking. It's not like a hard line thing. It's just, I'm just going to be better in any way that I think that I can interpret that. So I think I'm going to try to be better as the year goes on and however that takes me. The stop drinking one would be difficult for me because I play golf and people <laughs> drive you to drink and such like that. The um, The exercise 30 minutes a day is a nice aspirational thing, but I have two kids, and some days I get to take them everywhere to go exercise and watch them swim and play basketball and play baseball and stuff like that. And as much as I would love to say that I set a New Year's resolution that this is the year that I'm going to wake up at least three or four days a week at 5 a.m. and get my gym stuff done beforehand, that that's not going to happen. I know that's not going to happen. Um, yeah, I stopped making New Year's resolutions, but I'm always curious to hear what people, what New Year's resolutions people have. I have some friends who actually have. New Year's resolutions to get off of social media a significant amount. They weren't going to quit, but I know two guys who said that like social media was just taking up too much of their time that they have um they have iPhones that tell them how much they're using their phone on a weekly basis. There's some feature on their phone that says your usage was up 
15% this week or down 8% this yeah, week. Yeah, I always get and those on Sunday mornings and I'm embarrassed every time because it's like you're up 30% or if I'm sick that week and I'm not on my phone, you're down 40%. Yeah. And it shows, you the, it shows you the apps that are using most of your time. And you could say, well, some people are on the phone and actually talking to people or they are using email, which can be a lot of work-related stuff. And these guys were like, I'm on Facebook over the course of a week for five to six hours, which to me is mind-numbing. I'm not a huge Facebook person. Um, I have become someone who uses Twitter as part of our jobs. You and I you know, do use, use Twitter for, right. for news things like this and that. Um, Instagram is starting to, to get on me because I like looking this up, but I thought you'd be the perfect person to talk to about social media and golf because you don't necessarily come from a golf background, yet you have a really interesting and very diverse sport background. So for people who don't know you, um, you've been with Golf Week Magazine now for coming up on a year as a producer and as a writer. You've gone to events. You have started to get emerged in into the golf culture. Tell people a little bit about yourself and where you're coming from when it comes to social media and, and sports and the whole landscape. Well, I think we need to jump off and say that I'm a millennial. And I won't apologize about that because it means I'm really good at social media. So that's why you have me on the show today. Um, but I graduated from the University of Georgia in 2015, so pretty recent grad. And I have been trained in social media in school as well as just being a millennial and picking it up and just your mind developing and you growing out of adolescence with this, these apps and these websites. Um, but I, after I graduated from the University of Georgia, I went to the Atlanta Journal-Constitution and I helped cover the Atlanta Falcons and the Atlanta Hawks while I was there, some college football, some college basketball too. So I've come from a team sport background going to the more refined individual sport of golf. And it's been very interesting seeing the differences, not just in social media, but in the athletes' mindsets, in their training regimens. It's been really interesting. So talk to me a little bit about, I mean, there's a whole lot to sort of unpack there that, that leads us to the golf stuff, but with the various leagues and organizations that you've worked in and around, what is their sort of overriding philosophy when it comes to social media? How do they view things like Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat, Facebook, now TikTok, uh, other things that, that are out there? What Do they see them as a help? Do they see them as a hindrance? What What do they make of this stuff? I think professional sports leagues and even college sports are all in on this social media thing. They hire in colleges, they hire students for internships. They hire former students or they hire even people who have like 10 plus years of PR or media experience to come in and run their teams. They have full social media teams on the college level. And then on the professional level, it's even a step up from there. They have... You know, I think when I was with the Hawks or when I was covering the Atlanta Hawks, there were there was one full time guy and then there was a bunch of other people that had, you know, they were out taking pictures, especially for social media, stuff like that. So it is Mm -hmm. it is a full operation. When you see the Atlanta Hawks social media team or you see an NFL team's social media page, there are probably a dozen, if not more so people putting that together, having something to do with it. So they're all in and they're utilizing it to reach out to fans in ways that I think, you know, without it, you're not going to be able to reach out to those fans. So what are they doing? Like, I I would imagine that, you know, there's, there's a whole lot of different sites that will do things like show highlights. My son is 15 and Charlie's a big basketball fan, loves the NBA. But what's funny is I liked the NBA and I like 
college sports as well, especially college basketball. Growing up in Syracuse, New York in the 80s and the early 90s, Big East basketball for me was was religion. I mean, I not only knew all the guys in the Syracuse Orange, but as well as obviously Georgetown, St. John's, Villanova, all these classic teams, and you watched every game. Charlie doesn't watch games. He watches House of Highlights. Mm-hmm. You know, he will go up onto different social media outlets, especially now for him, Instagram, and he will be as up to date on what's going on, who's winning, guys who are playing well, great shots, all these different things, based solely on the fact that he's watching highlight clips, things that are usually 8 to 15 seconds long, and he just gets these little snippets. What used to be something that you would see 11 o'clock at night on Sports Center right. is now something that he digests in like literally like two minutes later after the fact that it happens so that he's chatting on Snapchat with his buddies while watching all these clips and doing whatever stuff he's he's doing when I look at golf it doesn't seem to necessarily lend itself to that but tell me sort of going back a little bit towards your experience with the NBA what what do these leagues make of the fact that they don't necessarily have control of their content and people are in some ways, monetizing and growing businesses out of their stuff? Or do they not even see it that way? That's a really good question. I actually don't know the answer to that. But I will say that I'm a lot like your son. I am a huge NFL fan. But I don't have time to sit around all day Sunday and watch every game that's on. I'm also on House of Highlights. And I sit there and watch Lamar Jackson run for a 30-yard touchdown. I'm like, oh, that's sick. I'm so glad I didn't have to sit for, you know, two hours to watch the first half and see all three of these touchdowns he scored. So, I mean, I I don't know where that comes from, from the NFL and the NBA perspective, but I think devil's advocate of that, them losing control. I, I think that it's a good thing because it's getting kids that wouldn't sit and watch kids and adults that wouldn't sit and watch a four hour game. They're seeing this on House of Highlights and going, man, Lamar Jackson's the man. Like, I'm not a Baltimore <laughs> fan, but I might want to watch one of his games. Like, he is, it's action packed, scored three touchdowns in the first half. I mean, I, I got to watch this guy. He might be MVP. So, I mean, that's going to get fans as well. Anything you say negative about social media, honestly, there's another swing that's positive. But then, you know, the other side of the coin is anything positive you say, there's a negative side effect of it. Does the NBA or the NFL, what, what league do you think right now is using social media most effectively or the best? Who's getting the most out of social media at this point? I don't know. They're both really good. I I probably would say the NBA. There's something chippy about the NBA just inherently that's going mm-hmm. to its social media accounts. And, you know, the one team's social media account will go and tweet at another team's social media account when they're playing that week. In the playoffs, it's really big. And then sometimes, like, around draft time, it's really big. I mean, you can just go yep. back and scroll through. They'll be tweeting at each other all the time. It's just it's a camaraderie thing, and it's like making them an NBA unit. I, I love it. I think it's so much fun because, as I said, the NBA is inherently chippy, just on the court, players in interviews. It's petty. And then the NBA well, Twitter accounts like bring it, that. It feels like the players are as savvy at using social media as anybody out there. And I think that there's when you look at football players, the field is farther away. They're in helmets behind face masks. And there's a disconnect between the fans and football players. They also don't necessarily look like most people who are just like walking down the street. NBA players are massively tall, but when you're watching it on television, like you can see facial expressions. You can see when guys are happy, when they're pissed off about something. You can see all these things. But then NBA Twitter, to me, I mean, there's there's dust-ups, there's feuds, there's all kinds of things that sort of happen. The guys are showing off the clothes that they're wearing coming into the arena at night. James That's Harden, my Russell favorite Westbrook is, part, man. That's my favorite it? part of NBA Twitter. 
You show and, all the outfits. You know, we don't. We don't get that too often. I remember when we were at the tour championship a couple years ago, and Tiger Woods came in with the sunglasses on, the hat on backwards, and he's got you know the the red shirt already on. And I forget who was the first one over, but they were like, "Oh, damn, just game over." Just Tiger by a billion, and it was fantastic. It was something to laugh about at the time. We don't get a lot of that. I mean, television. It's interesting, has made it so that the PGA Tour doesn't allow us, credentialed media very often, to put things up in real time like the NBA, Major League Baseball, certainly the NFL, would seem to allow certain accounts to do that. And in some ways, I think it's really discouraging because one of the ways that people, and this has been in the news with the the whole fanboy versus you know old man media debate that, that kicked up during the President's Cup is we would love to be able to do some of that stuff. We're not able to always do everything that we would want to do. And I don't mean to sort of un- unload that whole can of worms, but it's a lot of the things that other leagues do or certainly don't discourage, we're not doing. Um, I love the whole runway thing. To me, it's hysterical to see the guys show up. I forget the quarterback that was riding his bicycle to... Teddy Bridgewater. Yeah, yeah to the fantastic. Saints. Yeah, he rides it every game. And see, I am not a Saints fan, I wouldn't know that if I didn't see that on social media that the NFL, like the Saints, someone from the Saints facility, a media member, a staff member, someone, a fan, family member, recorded Teddy rolling up on his bike, rolling through the tunnels of the stadium. And that gets picked up by the Saints. That gets picked up by the NFL or House of Highlights, whoever. And I see it and I go, what a cool guy. That's awesome. That's so unique and genuine. But, I mean, I wouldn't have seen that just as a generic NFL fan. Exactly. Exactly. So let's bring this around to golf a little bit. You said that you've got some social media training, formal social media training. So you're way up on me. Um, Is there a social media outlet that you think is especially well-suited for golf? My initial take would probably be Instagram because golf is such a visual medium and Instagram seems to be the one – that is most photo driven, which doesn't mean that you can't put images and obviously video clips onto Facebook and Twitter and other things. But would you agree with that? Or do you think that there's one that's that's maybe a little bit better suited for golf in general? I don't know. I, you have a good point because I think golf, like the small highlights that you do have, you know, there's what, three, five shots per hole if, if you're doing it right. Um, and you have those action shots. But then, I mean, what else do you really have them walking to the holes? So there's there's some there's some visual component to it but i think i love twitter with sports stuff because mm-hmm. you can get the the verbiage and like the people talking i don't know i just i wish we're talking about how you know what's better suited for golf i really wish golf and golfers would get i don't know more onto social media and show more of who they genuinely are because what we mm-hmm. see of golf I think is, you know, the Rory, the final putt at the tour championship. We see that big highlight. We see someone hole out. We see someone, you know, find a pond or find a bunker. We see Patrick Reed in his, you know, two shot shovel controversial. (laughs) Oh, you can say it. He cheated. (laughs) Go ahead. You can say it. He cheated. (laughs) Yeah, Your word's not mine. But, you know, we see those type of things, but we don't see anything, you know, we rarely see something genuine them like walking to a hole or saying, you know, talking right. about each other on social media. I, I would love to see that more on Twitter. I think there's a big, I guess to answer your question, there's a big opportunity there for golf to figure out what they want to do. Because right now mm. it seems like they're just kind of 
doing the bare minimum. Like we're posting posting videos of what happened. We're posting photos of the winners. We're posting links to our stories. We're posting tea times. We're posting whatever. There's just not really an opportunity where they've broken through. Like NBA is being petty. NFL is showing, you know, behind the scenes looks in the locker rooms and Teddy rolling up on his bike and Cam Newton's outfits. Now, we're showing the one, that kind of the stuff. one group that the one group that seems to be doing that more than the PGA Tour and the LPGA Tour is the European Tour. They have done some really hysterical stuff. The fact after the Ryder Cup when they showed Francesco Molinari, you know, in bed with the Ryder Cup alongside Tommy Fleetwood, you know, was laugh out loud funny. And to get those two guys to do that picture was was really great um they've had guys hit shots at drone cameras over um the driving range and the practice area and stuff like that they seem to be wanting to try and do a little bit more in terms of let's try something and see if it works and one of the the dirty little secrets in this trade that you're aware of and that i think sometimes gets forgotten by people who are outside the ropes and not involved in the media is it's hard to be funny being funny so and, and coming up funny. with genuinely laugh out loud content is not easy. And it, it's so simple to, to try and do something funny and have it fall right on your face. And I wonder sometimes if the PGA Tour and the LPGA Tour are a little bit too risk averse where they just inherently play everything safe. Well, that think they're about, not willing to do that. Think about golf itself. It's a reserved sport. I mean, yeah. that's that's the type of people you have playing. That's the type of attitude that is allowed in golf. You must be reserved. Mm-hmm. And if you show emotion, you're a Patrick Reed. You know, the only time you can show emotion is if, you know, Tiger, you win the master and you double fist pump and scream. That's awesome. And everybody loves it. But I mean, NFL, you're you have who was it from the Steelers or the Browns when they got in the brawl and just were like showing emotion and hitting each other with helmets. You know, I mean, that's the NFL, and then NBA, yeah. they get in scuffles all the time. Golf, you don't have that, and you don't have people going out of their element. It's very reserved. So that does make sense. Hey, ever hear about the ex-football star who robbed a Brinks truck then tucked $400,000 under his arm like a football and escaped using an inner tube? No? Then you'll want to listen to season one of The Sneak, a podcast by For the Win and USA Today Sports. Here, take a quick listen to the man who actually pulled that off. In 2008, a former D1 football star pulled off a robbery so daring and so strange that it went viral worldwide. It was a perfect crime story. There was just one problem. It wasn't the real story of what happened. The Sneak is a new, serialized true crime podcast from For the Win and USA Today Sports. You can subscribe now on Apple Podcasts or get it anywhere you get podcasts on Tuesday, January 14th. Yeah, the demographic that obviously is associated with golf is being the older, college-educated, affluent, you know, almost exclusively white, unfortunately. Like, we, we lack a lot of diversity in many different facets than other sports. And I think people are playing to that one big part of the bell curve rather than trying to, to do things that might be a little bit more outreaching or things that are going to be creatively um, a little bit more aspiring. It's It's... They're, everybody, it seems like, is, is playing it safe. And I agree. You know, golf is inherently a more conservative game. There aren't slam dunks that, that happen, you know, where all of a sudden you get LeBron James taking off at the free throw line, soaring 15 feet and dunking the ball. The closest thing we get to that is a guy, you know, holes out and makes a big, you know, shot and fist pumps and that kind of thing. 
that's once a tournament, maybe. I mean, there have been weeks where we don't get that stuff. When we do get it, remember, for example, when Jordan Spieth holed out in a playoff against Daniel Berger at the Travelers Championships in Hartford a couple years ago, he and his caddy, Michael Greller, are bouncing off of each other. It's great. And we get a moment like that. That was the moment, quote-unquote, of the year. We just don't get the the 80-yard touchdown passes. We don't get you know, the the pack of defensive backs posing for a picture in the back of the end zone right. after a pick six. You don't you don't get the things that would naturally lend itself to that, which means that the pressure is really more on the leagues and the players to do something, in my opinion, to try and get out there. Or, on the other side, to not do that, which sort of leads me to my next question, which is that if you were a player agent, and again, you've got some social media training, what would you tell your golfer if you've got somebody, let's say that you had Colin Morikawa or Matthew Wolf, you had an up-and-coming stud golfer fresh out of deciding that the PJ Tour was for them, they've got to win, they're not going to be a collegiate or an amateur player. What would you tell them as far as how are we going to do social media right? How, would you, how active would you want them to be? Well, first off, they need to be on it. Because in Matthew Wolf's case, I mean, he's, what, 21, 22 years old. He needs yeah. to be on it. And he, he probably already is on it, but he needs to have a public account. That's like what we call Finstas, fake Instas. Well, he, he can have a Finsta. It needs to be super private, but he has to have a public account, you know, dedicated to fans, getting a following, showing who he is. Because I'm sure you would agree – what type of person are you going to root for if you're a fan? Are you going to root for someone who's like reserved and you never know? Reserved isn't the right word. Who's private? You never know what they're talking, what they're doing. You don't know anything about them. Are you going to want someone that you know? You know what their dog's name is. You know what they do on on the weekends for fun. They tweet about other tournaments. They let you know who they are. I'm going to get behind someone that I know who they are and I think they're a fun person and I'm going to root for them. I don't know if you're the same way, but. Yeah, I mean, and for those of you out there scoring at home, Matthew underscore Wolf 5 on Instagram, and uh, out on Twitter, it's the same thing, Matthew underscore Wolf, and then the number 5. What I think is interesting about him is that he's got almost like, it's not an emoji, but it's an illustration of a non-faced golfer as his icon, which to me is kind of an, of an odd thing. But yeah, it's I guess the one thing that I would tell people is, that if you're an athlete, you have to be aware that you are now also a brand. Yeah. Whether you like it or not, is if you are a star player, um, you should be fun. You should, number one, above anything else, be authentic. Be yourself. And and those are the accounts to me that are really good. If you go up, for example, on Matthew Wolf's Instagram or up on his Twitter, you see pictures of him arm-in-arm arm with his buddies at Oklahoma State because that's a huge part of this guy's life. And there he is with Victor Hovland. There he is, you know, appearing for the first time in magazines and on tour and, and all this different stuff. And the, the Christmas picture with Tiger Woods and Dustin Johnson, you know, all in, in Roy McElroy in the onesies that TaylorMade put out. And there, there's, you know, him. You, you've got to do some things and be aware that, number one, be authentic. But number two, you're also a, a brand. And golf has got a long lifespan for your professional career. A football player... You know, I don't know what the average is, but but I think it's the, something like four years or five the, yeah, years. Yeah, the it's, average it's, NFL career is three years. It's yeah, ridiculous. so you've got three yeah. years, which is which is crazy. And you know, some players maybe it's are going to be long. Not everybody is as dreamy and wonderful as Tom Brady. Um, he's in House of Highlights a lot, if you hadn't noticed. Um, <laughs> a little bit more than those. But I digress. Um, it's you've, you've got to play the long game out with this. You know, basketball players maybe the lifespan of their career is a little bit longer than the NFL. But we've got to be in for the long haul, which means, 
you're trying to do things with that in mind. I don't know exactly how that changes it, but I think it's something that athletes, when they're young, 22, 23, 24, you don't necessarily think that way. So I think the job for the agent is is to do that. But um, it's interesting to me when you were saying earlier that you want to see more of their lives. Give me an instance. Like, what are some of the things? Not necessarily like riding a bicycle, you know, to the tour stop at Kapaloo or the Sony Open or the Players or something like that. But like, what what are players missing? What what are you wishing that we were getting more of that? that you haven't seen to this point from enough players at least. So I think someone who's really good at it is Phil Mickelson actually. And he is not a millennial and he is, he's just, so 21 hours ago he posts like a produced drone video or someone's filming. It looks like a drone where he's Mm -hmm. hashtag hitting bombs. And like, that's from, you know, I think it was the masters where he said he was going to hit bombs. I can't remember, but he's made that into his own and everyone. So this video was posted 21 hours ago when we're recording it, it has 4.7 thousand likes and 400 retweets. Like he's resonating with a lot of people and he's showing, you know, he's doing stuff like charity stuff. He's posting, uh, just his thoughts and his workout schedule. He posted a a video with Santa before Christmas. He's out uh, putting on an ice rink. Just, you know, stuff like that. He's probably doing this stuff not for social media. He's just doing it, living his life. And he's like, hey, this would be a good video to post on social media. He's just being genuine. And that's a good thing to point point out too. Not everyone is Phil Mickelson. Not everyone can, like you <laughs> said, true. not everyone's yeah. funny. Not everyone can have this social media empire like Chrissy Teigen has. Like she, she's yeah. funny and she capitalizes off of it. She has made a market off of oversharing her life and not everyone can do that. For example, um, I was looking at Roy, Rory McIlroy's page earlier. Rory is not an oversharer and I think Rory is a very reserved person. Rory is not Phil. So they should not be held to the same standard of if you're sharing your life so much on social media. Mm-hmm. So I agree with everything. I thought that Phil Mickelson, who, by the way, again, if you're scoring at home, Phil Mickelson, all is one word, lowercase on Instagram. Uh, on Twitter, it's at Phil Mickelson. It's pretty easy to find. He's been a revelation. I mean, late to the party coming onto social media, really starting it up last year. I thought what was interesting is that Phil clearly – had some ideas about how he wanted to do it. He had a show where he's basically bringing people on and he's almost acting as a host. And you're getting a lot of the personality that Phil Mickelson really brings. I I think that Phil Mickelson's Instagram is really good. I loved the one during the President's Cup of him lounging in in what was almost like a onesie. Um, An American flag onesie, yeah. Yeah, it was like an American flag, like a romper, holding on to a cup, watching all these televisions like like we would be at home. You know, if you're waking up in the middle of the night or if it's late at night or whatever and you're lounging on the sofa watching golf and there's Phil Mickelson doing the exact same thing that you would do. And yeah, it's great. He's doing some stuff, obviously, with Callaway, which is a big one of his sponsors and KPMG and some other stuff. But, but okay, it's Phil Mickelson hasn't been playing golf competitively for a little while. What do we see? We see Phil Mickelson working out in the gym. We see him doing some skiing. And then we see him with Dave Pels and Eddie Pels and some of his gang, his brother out there, getting ready to get at it and get out there on tour. It's, I don't think it's hard. And again, like it's really easy for guys who have enough money to give people their phone, to put this up. They're going to get instant big following numbers. Phil Mickelson on Instagram has 718,000 people following him. On Twitter, it's about 478,000 people. So big names are going to get big numbers. They're going to make big news. 
But I think that the lessons for aspiring players and really aspiring athletes is to do this. You don't necessarily have to go out there and say you're going to hit bombs. But Phil talks that way. Like That's the image that he has not only tried to get people outside the ropes and on television to sort of buy into. Phil's like that all the time. Right, that's he's just being he himself, yeah. Exactly, which is why it comes out, you know, which is why like him sticking his head out next to a couple of bottles of really expensive wine. Yeah, that's what Mickelson does. Ian Poulter has for a long time been one of my favorite people to follow. Um, Ian is somebody who takes a lot of grief from American fans because he's broken our hearts on... Ryder Cup stages all over the world. I mean, he's he's great. Um, if you don't follow Pulse, and most people do at this point, you should. Um, I love the fact that, again, talking to the authenticity part, he loves his Ferraris. He loves cars. He loves, um, and I think I can say this pretty openly without him saying it, he is a super control freak, so his garage is this spotless, clean environment where he brings in these beautiful red Ferraris. I know for a while he put up on Instagram and on, on Twitter and such like that, that his wedges were all stamped with the models of his Ferraris. So there was, you know, an F40 over here. Okay, and a Testarossa over. It was a little much, but it tells you exactly where Ian Poulter is coming from, which is what we're talking about. Like, this is who he is. Um, and the funny story is I was on the driving range with he and his caddy. I believe it was Terry Mundy. And he w- this is maybe five years ago. And Pulse was taking off on social at the time. And just the, in terms of the power of followings that these people have, I mean, the golfers as influencer kind of thing, he told his people who were following him, hey, my mate and my caddy, Terry Monday, just joined on to Twitter. Follow him. And we sat there, the three of us, and he was just refreshing, refresh, refresh. And every time he pulled it down and refreshed the page – he was picking up another couple hundred followers. And over the course of this this practice session at TPC Sawgrass, he picked up like 10,000 followers in an hour, hour and a half. And this guy is a caddy. And it's, it's amazing how fans latch on to teams and to athletes and golfers. They certainly do this on. Um, what do you think of Rory and some of the other people? Tell me like one or two other people that you think are really good follows on social media. Who should people be following? I think Justin Thomas is a great follow. He's mm. he's he always likes to talk to fans. And so fans follow him because they try to like tweet at him, get a response. That's like a big thing for a lot of people. I I'm someone who's had a Twitter account for 10 years around the time Twitter started. I've never tweeted at a celebrity or an account that like wasn't giving away a free thing. Like I that's just not me. A lot of people like to do it and get tweets and retweets from yep. fans whatever from celebrities. But he, you know, his first tweet here while we're recording is about a giveaway. Okay? He's like that's like what a lot of people use social media for. Post is an right. post an Instagram picture. You know, you can just scroll down but like it doesn't take very long for him to like have a conversation with someone Kirk Herb Street. It doesn't take long time for him to like engage with a fan and he's you know Mm -hmm. he's he's had some some fun with fans in the past talking about (laughs) he's had a lot of fun with fans but yeah he's a good follow and he's a good follow on instagram too twitter he gets more involved in the mentions and stuff and he definitely checks his mentions often but instagram he's pretty active too he's a good follow so yeah go ahead oh and then uh i think nelly and jessica corda too Yes. On the LPGA yep, circuit. They, they Around Christmas, I think they showed a video of them riding a golf cart together. And that wasn't something that was like promoting anything. That's just like a, like a little screenshot into their lives that they're just hanging around, playing a round of golf on Christmas, riding around, having a good time, and they just posted it. 
I mean, that's the kind of genuine stuff that people want to see if they're your fan or you're trying to engage fans. So I agree with those. Those are good ones. Um, Who do you I've, like? I've been, well, you know, like I'll be, as somebody who's trying to use, I use Twitter, for example, as a news follow. Um, and I've found that, unfortunately, like I, over the course of years, and maybe you've experienced this too, I haven't culled the herd of people that I follow and, and organizations that I follow enough. So sometimes it's all just, it gets to be a blur. Um, part of my job is to make sure that I use this stuff also for equipment coverage mm-hmm. on golfweek.com and Golf Week Magazine. I'm following this stuff for a little bit different purpose maybe than some, some of the people who will be listening to this podcast. Um, but I, I have enjoyed Justin Thomas a lot. One of my favorite things that he does every year on social media is that he reveals, usually at the end of the season, the goals that he had for the beginning of that year. He has, for the last few years, typed in to the notes section on his iPhone maybe about 15 or 20 goals for the year. Usually they're statistically based or they are performance based, like making a cup team, you know, yes or no, hitting 60% of the fairways, yes or no. Um, leading the PGA Tour in birdies on par fives, yes or no, things like that. And it gives you a, an insight into, competitively, his game. It's hard in interview situations. Guys can be really guarded about exactly what they're trying to do because I think some of them think it's some type of competitive advantage or they don't want to show weakness, which is sort of can be rolled back to Tiger Woods not really always revealing what he's working on or if he's hurt or something like that, which I don't really understand. Um, but those are the ones that, that I feel like when guys give us the insight, it can be really a lot of fun. Um, I think that the equipment manufacturers have started to invest a lot more in trying to create good content that is designed for social. Again, going back to that tailor-made thing where they had all the guys, yeah, the Christmas card was a big deal. People love that. People didn't think it was real. And then a contact I've got a tailor Sorry to interrupt you. Can I tell you why I loved that? I loved it because I never thought that Tiger Woods and a few of those (laughs) other guys would sit down in matching pajamas and take a picture. It was like so unexpected to me. Other people might be like, oh, Tiger would definitely do that. I don't think he would. And so I loved, I like stared at it for like five minutes trying to like see if it was real. Loved it. Well, and that was the, that was the reaction that people got from me is that it's photoshopped. And my first impression, because I physically got the Christmas card sent to me, um, and I looked at it, I opened up the envelope, I looked at it, I'm like, oh, this is this this is absolutely shopped. There's there's no way that they're getting Tiger right. Woods and Dustin. I'm like looking at Roy McIlroy, who is sitting as my my daughter would say, crisscross applesauce in front of the fireplace. Yeah, he's on I'm the like, floor. Yeah. I'm like, come on, and I'm looking. I'm like, boy, it's it's a really good Photoshop if it is. I mean, it's it's properly done. And then I had someone who was at the photo shoot that was the very explains me that was the very first photo they took that morning at the TaylorMade ad shoot and they they texted me a photo of the photo shoot going on like with the photographer right there the lights I'm like oh my god it's real so are they and all there at the same up. time Yes they were all there See, at the same time for the me. day cuz I I looked at and, it for so long cuz yeah. I was like are they like did we photoshop them in like how Kim Kardashian photoshopped her daughter into their christmas card like are we doing that type of stuff but no that's wild I love that Well that's that's when when the checks are big enough the guys will do a lot of things that's evidently. true. <laughs> and, and getting into christmas getting into christmas onesies is is one of them um question for the 
that sort of occurred to me as we've been having this conversation is that social media, for as many good things as it does, it can be also a really dark place. It can be someplace where if people don't agree with your opinion or your take or they don't like something about what you're doing, the anonymity of that social media allows people to have, um, they get pretty gutsy. They all of a sudden, you know, they, they get ballsy because they know that no one else sees them doing it. They say things they would never say to right. someone to their face because it's, they're anonymous. And it's unfortunate. Like it's, it's garbage. It's one of the things that turns a lot of people like my buddies off to social media. At the same time, I'm a guy. I'm going to be 50 years old in October of 2020. I can't really imagine or can't really take in what social media could potentially be like for female athletes for female reporters and sports writers. Um, it's been something that's been talked about, but do you see any evidence or have you noticed anything that's changing over the course of the last year or two in the sports media world or for, for female athletes out there in terms of how they are seen and perceived and what they're dealing with on social? Well, I'm not a female athlete, so I'll answer it the best I can. I And I'm not mm-hmm. super popular on Twitter, so I don't get a lot of hate. But for me... Personally, the mansplaining is rampant. Like, someone will, I can't, I block a lot of people. Um, but, you know, someone will just message me and be like, this isn't exactly right. Or they'll, I'll post a link to an article and they'll be like, your headline isn't good. And I'm like, you obviously didn't read the story. There's stuff like that that's just dumb. Yeah. But then there's other stuff yep. like, so one of my stories that I go on is uh, when Peyton Manning retired. Uh, there's a woman, Lindsay H. Jones, she used to work for the USA Today Network, and now she works for The Athletic. She asked Peyton, it was right after um, the Me Too movement got started, and a former trainer at the University of Tennessee accused Peyton and some other former football players in a lawsuit of exposing himself to her as a joke in the training room. And Peyton hadn't had a chance to deny it because it came out after the Super Bowl, and right before his retirement. So there was like a dry spell of three weeks. So in Peyton's retirement press conference, Lindsey Jones asks Peyton if he would like to address the complaint and the lawsuit. And he basically says something like, you know, this is a happy day and I'd like to just focus on this part of it. It was respectful, didn't say anything about it. It's a lawsuit, so he obviously can't. But people on Twitter call Lindsey the C word. They message her. Um, and tell her she's awful at her job. Why would she slander Peyton Manning like this? And that's the type of stuff that women in sports, media especially, put up with. Just outrageous, you know, accusations, outrageous comments aimed at them that have no basis, have no place on any social media platform, that kind of stuff. And female athletes, I feel like it's probably not that much different. It's just ignorance that people aim at them. There's probably a lot of sandwich, like go make me a sandwich comments, which are, you know, they make no Great to sense. know that Fred Flintstone, Fred Flintstone is able to use an iPhone. That's that's wonderful right, stuff. Right, right. I, I, I I'd hope that it, it, was, it was getting better. I'd hoped, and, and it's my, my own being, my own self being naive about the whole thing. Um, my daughter Lindsay's ten, and she's not on social media. She doesn't have a cell phone yet. Um, Good for she you. Will tell you. Yeah, she shouldn't have tick, one. If tick, she's tick dead. tock. She 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 wants, she wants one, one, but 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 she's not going to get it for a little while. And it's for for women, and certainly for girls. It, it, I just see it as a very dark, you know, hole to fall into. It it's, can be it's really. A, it's a pretty deep spiral. It can be really dark. Um, but I did read this stat one time that said that all those 
like hateful comments or like social media comments just in general come from about mm-hmm. 3% of accounts. Yeah, so I it's, believe that. It's the same small, it might not be that, and the numbers may have changed. It's the same small group of people that are making all these comments. Like the thousands of comments you see are just like a small majority or minority of loud people. The majority is not saying anything is not attacking people but then it comes to the you know the ultimate rule if you're not doing anything hateful that's great but you need to be attacking and reporting the people who are doing the hateful things and that's i think that's coming becoming more thing i see a lot of men especially mm-hmm. in comments when there's a hateful comment toward a female reporter or athlete they're saying hey man this isn't cool like she knows a lot or someone will be like you've never played football, you've never played basketball, whatever, why are you commenting on this? And then someone will be like, Belichick never played football and he's pretty good at it. You know, a dude will come and message that. So it's getting better in that sense because more men are starting to be like, we need to stand up against this, but it's still going to happen. It's always going to happen. As long as we have anonymity on social media, people are going to say hateful things. I totally agree. And uh, you and I are not anonymous. If people want to follow you on Twitter, it's at JK Culpepper. Um, I'm on Twitter at at golfweek underscore Dusek, and you can also find me on Instagram at, at David Dusek, D A V I D D U S E K. We both work for Golf Week Magazine. You can hit Golf Week Magazine on Twitter at, at golfweek mag. Julia Kate, I really want to appreciate you. Uh, tell you, I appreciate you coming on the to the Four Press podcast. We'll do it again, and uh, who knows? Maybe the next time I'm in Atlanta, which tick tock tick tock, I, I can hear I can hear the the Georgia pines, the Loblolly pines, maybe some of those. Birds tweeting the well, azaleas maybe even bloom. Yeah, it's supposed um, to be the a Masters is not de- too far away. It's supposed to be sixty degrees here today. So even if you come earlier, January tenth, it's supposed to be in the sixties. It's very nice. Is uh, is Matt Ryan free this weekend to play golf? Oh, he's always free in the postseason. You know that. <laughs> Sorry, Matt. I do. He's a nice guy. Thanks a lot. Thanks right. a lot, Julie. Talk to you soon. David. Soon.